Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Getting There, Innovations in Education, brought to you by eSchool News. My name is Kevin Hogan. I'm editor-at-large, and I'm, I'm glad you found us. Uh, I'm also really happy to have Dr. Elena Zachary Ross from the great uh, district of the Ypsilanti Community Schools in, in Michigan, right outside of Detroit. Doctor, how are you? Thank you for joining me today. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. I only had to practice Ypsilanti once, right? And I got it down pretty good. You are perfect. All right. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, you know, as I mentioned before the recording, this is a, exactly a year from when I began these conversations. And when I look back at the archive and I think about the things that district leaders were dealing with at that time, it's still, it's still mind bending, you know, the, what you have all been through. I mean, everybody's been through it, right? But there's an extra layer when it comes to being an educator. And then I think even an extra layer when it comes to being an administrator on top of that and having to moderate, you know, the various entities. So I guess I am I'm very tired of talking about the pandemic. I'm tired of talking about COVID-19. We still do need to talk about it, though. And let me ask you, I mean, what's the current state, um, state of play in your district when it comes to um, your setups. Tell us your tell us your story. Absolutely, here in Ypsilanti, you know we're a small community right out right next door to Ann Arbor, only about forty miles, um, forty minutes rather from Detroit. And so we we sit here in a great area in Washtenaw County. Yet, you know, um, we we've really we're the district um, that really serves the un, typically those who are underrepresented and. Um, so there were, there's been some challenges. However, you know, just like everyone else, the staff, the students and families have risen to the, to, to the challenge. And so all along this year, we have had uh, three models. We had an in-person model, a remote to come to return and an online all year model. And we did, we did that by surveying, surveying the staff and surveying the students because we knew everybody has something different they were dealing with. Some staff said, I have to be in person. I cannot work from home. I need to be with the students. Whereas some staff said, you know, I'm caring for folks or I have medical issues, I won't be back this year. And that helped us. The reason being is, you know, when we think about making the building, uh, having three feet and six feet apart, um, if we think about everybody eventually transitioning in, there would not be room. That's why some schools are doing the on days and off days because they can't even accommodate it. Well, fortunately for us, we had enough of the online people that will be online all year that we did all of our class lists the same, right? So that the teacher could have a relationship with the students, the students can know the expectations from the beginning of the year to the end and give them some sense of comfort and stability. So our in-person students came in and stayed in from it's just a, 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 until um, now. We had one break where the governor had us off after spring break, and that was the only break. And then we had the remote that phased in. So now um, about 80% of our students are all in-person. They come um, four days a week in-person. Um, it's a, still a shortened day, and that's because it's almost like a one-room schoolhouse. Hmm. They don't go to their specials um, and they eat lunch in the classroom with their teacher to, uh, to still be able to cohort. Uh, most of our students obviously are under 12, 
the whole demographic. So they can't have the vaccinations for those younger folks. So they're still cohorted. They stand in room all day. And then on Fridays, they do the asynchronous. They do all their specials um, and connect that way. And their teachers, are, some of them are live. Some of them are remote. Yeah. So you mentioned that, you know, um, you talked about comfort and connection. And that's certainly something that um, I found in, in these conversations that social emotional learning was the phrase that I used to hear before the pandemic. And I would nod my head and say, oh, yes, yeah, social emotional learning. I know exactly what you're talking about, but not really having it. It was just a very fuzzy theoretical sort of thing, right? Because of the pandemic, it's a very, very real thing that became, it seems to be first and foremost for districts. There wasn't even any, necessarily any curricula happening last spring. It was just to get the kids together, to get that comfort. Um, talk a little bit about, I mean, is that something that you think, um, well, maybe you had it before, um, but has it has that changed? Has it accelerated? And is, is that something that you, I'm sure you hope, but do you think it will kind of retain once we go back to whatever whatever normal is? And do you think the technology can helps enable that? Even just the like platforms like Zoom where you can connect one-to-one -one with parents, say? So a couple things. One, um, we, were, we were already, again, we, we serve a, a, a population that we have to look at that. So we, um, we, have, we call it the Intense Student Support Network, and that's everything that's non-academic. And so because we had that network, we, we were really uh, ahead of the game in that regard. And so one of the things we did um, in regards to that is that's why we ensured that we had learning labs. Um, we knew that some of the parents didn't feel comfortable sending their students to school, but they, want, they needed them to go somewhere for that connectivity, for that support, so that they can get a social worker, so that they can have consistency with food every day. And so um, we put learning labs in our communities, um, either through in a community center or in a church building that had a hall, <laughs> a area that we could set up school. And we sent staff members there. A lot of our meaningful work staff, like those transportation folks who weren't driving the buses yeah. um, to assist. So yes, they went on to school on the computer with their class during those regular scheduled times. But in other times when either they went to small group or when they were gonna work independently, they had an adult there who they could talk to. They had some, they had social work um, availability. Our OT, uh, occupational therapist, physical therapist sometimes met them there in the comfort of their neighborhood. They didn't have to go outside where they're worried about oh, am I gonna put my child on a bus and be safe? Or is the child feeling anxious? They know that community center. And most of those people were people they were going outside with or knew in their same apartment building. So they, um, so we had that those labs to meet that social emotional need. And when you ask about, um, ask about how the computer can be a part, we really, we, we dealt with social emotional peace in terms of students as well as staff. And I can tell you about that later if you like, um, because we were really creative with the staff this year. But one of the things that we've done, and next year we're gonna, yes, we're gonna continue it and, almost, and be even more intentional and intense. So what um, we started working, uh, and we know a lot of people have heard about restorative circles, but um, with technology 
and during the pandemic, we've been um, implementing so something called Compassion Resilience Circles. And that is a curriculum already. We, uh, we worked with U University of Michigan and they assisted in training some staff. They held these circles for parents. They held these circles for staff members and for students. And so next year, um, we're, we're gonna expand that and train two staff members in every single building. And what they caught, they have two um, toolkits. One is the teacher toolkit and the teachers hold it for each other. They hold it for each other and it's a place to go, to talk, to reflect, to vent if you need to. And then there's one called the Parent Caregiver Toolkit. And we host those circles for them as well. And, it, and we see that those restorative circles and classrooms didn't just have restorative circles, in-person and remote, they, the teachers will hold circles each day. And um, during that time, the students could still do the things they did in circle time when they were in person. You know, in, LM, in the lower L, they do the show and tell, they talk. Some of them would bring their dogs. <laughs> so you got to meet the dog or the pet and the family. Um, some of them just talked about things that happened in their homes um, that they felt comfortable sharing in that circle. And we were excited to learn about this new, the Compassion Resilience Circle. And, and now, again, how we're gonna beef it up and have have the teachers trained from every building so that we can host these circles for the staff and for our parents. And so was that something that was nice to have before the pandemic and is now front and center? You know, what, what I see is it was essential for us to have it for students. And what for us, what's been different is now we're serving the whole family. You know, so now uh, for the other thing that we did, we had town halls and we brought in like, for example, um, NAMI, uh, the National Association of Mental Health. So they came in and did workshops in a town hall and people joined on Zoom. We actually had a jazz night for our families. Just Very Friday cool. night, listen to jazz. And in between, we gave just talks about how to support their students. We brought in a social worker um, and had her to talk uh, at one of the town halls. So that's what it is. It feels like our responsibility. It always, we're Ypsilanti Community Schools. We should have been more of a community, but now um, what we've seen after the pandemic is, yep, I got to serve the student while they're in class and beyond that, like, and give some skills and support to the parents and give it to the care providers and as a matter of fact, I got to make sure this teacher, and that's the part right. we kind of have forgotten about, is this teacher mentally healthy? Are they, are they ready to, are they getting filled up so they can go and give to the students? It's just another just incredible aspect of this, of this whole experience, right? I mean, it's just a truly group traumatic experience. I, I was mentioning I have this other podcast series where I'm talking to executives of ed tech companies and, and they're as traumatized as everybody else, right? And it's just, it has this whole thing together. So there's this, this greater understanding of an, an importance of, uh, of reaching out to each other. Now let's talk about other aspects uh, you mentioned um, of equity and the, and the learning labs in the communities that you serve. There's a lot of talk now. Um, so digital equity was another one of those phrases. I would go to ed tech conferences and we would wring our hands 
And we would talk about this in an esoteric sense, in a theoretical sense. How are we going to solve the digital divide or the homework gap or however you want to call it? March 13th, 2020, like all those theories became a really, really stark reality to, again, to everyone, but especially uh, certain districts where you were trying to get uh, students access to the Internet and a device. The latest numbers I heard, there are still 3 million students in the United States that have yet to reconnect with, with their districts. Um, mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, you see uh, you know, the E-rate uh, funding seems to about to go through. AT&T just um, uh, said they were going to deliver $4 billion worth of subsidies uh, to customers uh, in order to uh, subsidize their access to make it essentially free. I mean, did all it take was a global pandemic to actually push us into an action where that equity cloud might become an actual solution? You know, you, 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 you put it right there because we have to make it a priority. We had to make it a priority. And before it was not a priority. Before it was a wish, it was a dream that some people on the outside had. When it became a priority to everyone, then that's when we saw the change. For us, I was newer to the district. I had only been here a year when the, when the pandemic came. Oh, great. And, and even though I had only been here a year, when I walked in the door that um, July, we passed a sinking fund in November. And so the sinking fund, while we appreciate the, our, you know, our stakeholders and our community, it was a 10-year technology rollout plan, right? It, it, that went with our infrastructure because the we don't get money from our government to to deal with technology or for our infrastructure, you know, for our buildings. And so while I was excited in, in, in March to be able to at least have some funds, I was, I, we were not a one-to-one district. And so I made it a priority. And then I also reached out and this is where the pandemic was helpful because other people were saying, and understanding that we can't, I can't do this alone as a school. We can't do it as alone. So we, first of all, put all of the technology that we already had, right? Because we want to say, we have some things, we've got some skin in the game and we just still know it's not enough. Yeah. Uh, because even our teachers had desktop computers, they didn't have laptops. So even some of them didn't have the device. You know, we talk about the students, but our, our staff didn't have devices totally. to, be able to teach at home. So we brought in uh, all of our devices and, and really created quickly right we pivoted pretty quickly um created a plan so we just decided all pre-k one students would get ipads we and we brought in all the ipads we had and here's where you the the divide became so noticeable some of our other districts because we're like the only district in our in our county like you know made up with our demographics they had extra ipads (laughs) They had more than enough. They were already one-to-one and yeah. they had some also in the classroom. Yeah. So I borrowed Bell's iPads to make sure that every pre-K one um, student was able to have that and um, and used the re, re, reanalyzed our sinking funds and pulled in more of the monies that we were going to do for infrastructure to purchase the rest. 
because there was a wait list, right? Everybody yeah. in the country was, was ordering iPads. So even if you ordered it, you couldn't necessarily get them immediately. Right. Next, we did for second through um, high school and staff, we did um, Chromebooks. And so I wrote to United Way, the Ann Arbor Community Foundation, all to assist us. And, and I didn't have the money. Let's just be honest. I just ordered. <laughs> these computers on faith. <laughs> <laughs> I just want I need yeah. the computers and they're gonna be paid for. So not only do we need to buy the computers, I see you have on your headset. Well think about if you have five children, three children in your home and, and you have a small apartment. We had to buy I mean it wasn't it was essential. You yeah. could buy the computer and not headset. So we're like oh my goodness and it costs but I got to do headsets. I've got to also think about my assistive technology that my students, special needs students have. And so it was the rush to just order and say, it is going to be, like you said, Kevin, whatever it takes. Like you had, we had to just know this is impossible, but we're in an impossible situation and we're going to just do it. And so we, we bought that. And then came the stark realization and you would have thought that I, an educational leader, my goodness, she's got her doctorate. Why couldn't she think about we're going to need internet access? And so, again, partnering. I partnered with um, a group of folks from Eastern Michigan who were graduates. And they put in, they, they have a club, and they gave us money for internet access. And then I went to Eastern and said, well, my goodness, if you're alumni, I could do this. What are you going to put in the, what are you going yeah. to put on the table? And then we, of course, put money on the table and worked with Comcast and said, okay, we got this money. You had this one plan. What can we do? And, and you would think that that would have been simple, but some of the people had had such terrible experiences and they were afraid to even um, reach out to us to say, I want to do it. They, we found out they had prior bills that the, it had been shut off before. And so we put it in our name and gave them codes so that they would not have to go through the process, right? Like, so this whole thing, giving access, like turned into something totally different for me. It was like, to, to, I was able to sit, to be in their shoes and understand like, yeah, I wouldn't want to call people either. You know, totally. I, this, 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 you're going to hound me to try to pay that. You know, I don't have this bill now, you know, this money. Now I have this, my children at home. We needed to take, remove all the barriers. So we continue we put a track in now and, um, you know, for replacement, we ensured all our staff got the access. Those, we found out that there's broadband issues. So we had to buy um, those little boxes or whatever to, so that they could go and have those at their, get that access. And so it really gave me a real sense of the fact that there are more inequities than I thought, not just having the tool, um, yeah. but, you know, the broadband is not available. Um, yeah, and you know, we're a uh, parent. If we want to do this remote, the parent has to pay for internet services. Um, when we know this added responsibility shouldn't be theirs, is our responsibility to educate, you know, to also to educate the student. That's that's a really, really interesting point. So, when you think about again, ATT saying, well, you know, we're going to reduce people's bills. What you're saying is there are folks who can't pay their bills and they're not going to engage a provider that way. 
but really the shoulder the responsibilities on the on the district to not only get them books but that access you're almost in effect becoming a de facto internet service provider right uh, absolutely you know and and on top of that we became a, a tech provider because um, we then had to make uh, office hours available for our tech department to troubleshoot with parents, troubleshoot with, with students. We then, the tech department had to create videos on here's how to log in to Google Classroom. Here's how, how, do you, how you use this access. It, well, it, it has been such a learning curve. Yeah. And, you know, and it just, again, this is how we got closer to our families because they were just talking, you know, they were caught, we, we created a helpline where parents could call in. We were like, wow, we're getting all these tech questions. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, hey, we gave you a computer. Right. And so um, we have, uh, we still, to this day, till, and it's almost June, we still have office hours available. That just, that's just open. Some of them were, you know, they go to their grandparents' house and the child was so little, they can't remember how, what the Google, Google Classroom login was. So we had to yeah. create a whole sheet of that. Um, and so it just reminded us, um, that, you know, number one, we're here to serve and, and, and are we ready to do whatever it takes for those that we serve? Yeah. And it means everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, the toughest part of this conversation is going to be to end it, but we're, we're kind of running out of time. Let me finish up by asking you, I mean, it seems that, you know, through all these experiences, so you've gained a lot of knowledge and gained a lot of insight on, on, on your community and how to help them. Give me some forward, uh, hopefully, and I think it will be glass half full uh, scenarios of how you see your community district um, thriving going forward with now that we're at the light at the end of the tumble, tunnel, maybe people getting vaccinated, uh, new funding coming in from the federal government, a new realization by industry on the needs of, of certain communities that were ignored before. Give me a, just kind of give me that uh, a your, your crystal ball, your hopeful crystal ball. You know, we, we are really excited. Number one, when you mentioned that funding, we, we just never had enough funding. And now, um, especially the fact that they're doing it based off of the Title I formula, this time we're going to get more than we've received in the past. So today already for summer school, our summer programs, and they are all considered camps. They're innovative camps. We're doing um, unapologetic acceleration is what we're calling it. And we already have 700 students signed up. Great. And we have, like, we're, we're not even out of school to June 11th. Yeah. That's amazing, right? So we're going to continue this learning. We're, we're going to be able to pay the staff what they are supposed, should be paid to work during the summer. And then um, is also the funding is giving us the opportunity to pay teachers to come in to really, really go back over pacing. What did we learn from this pandemic learning? We call it pandemic learning. Um, what are we gonna take with us? How are we now gonna integrate technology in a way that we couldn't before? Um, we're, when we looked even at how we spend our sinking fund dollars, we're going to use it to equip the classrooms over the summer with cameras and so that we could have students out still so they can remote in if the camera can just be on the teacher and the teacher can be still interacting with the student in a new way because now the teachers feel very comfortable when they didn't before right so uh and you know we we're still one-to-one -one. so 
we're thinking and, and using student voice to help us understand, which was interesting. Our students said, give us some assignments with paper. We don't want to use the computer for everything. And so just an example of now we're, we're really hearing student voice. We're hearing from the parents about what they are needing and the teachers, and we're um, utilizing them. You know, so many times we do stuff to people um, or for folks, and we don't do it with them. And mm -hmm. this pandemic coming out as we're planning forward, doing with our, with the students, the staff, the community, it to me is a bright, bright future moving forward. And in talking to the students, you know, they talk about loss. I don't, I don't, I think that they've really gained so much and they're, they are, they're wise in understanding. I might not have gotten this part of this instruction, but there's so much that I have now, including a voice. Um, and I think that's going to just take them uh, for uh, on a new journey as we think about lifelong learners. Well, that is great to hear. <laughs> that was great to hear. Again, thinking back to these awful, terrible conversations I had started having last, last summer uh, to hear that um, not only have we survived this to a large degree, but uh, that the, the districts can, can thrive and, and go forward. And I think um, many of our audience will, will benefit from, from your insights and your ideas. So doctor, thank you very much for your time. Well, thanks for having me again, Kevin. It's been a pleasure. And thanks everybody for watching. I hope you click around and find us again soon.